Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Scripture there. And it is my goal, and it has been my goal uh, for over 40 years, that God would allow me to do what Ezra and the Levites did in the Old Testament, which is to stand up before the people, read the Scripture, and cause it to make sense. And I promise you today that as I read this Scripture, if you will ask God to be your teacher, not Scott Becker. Ask God to be your teacher by his spirit. I promise you God will cause the scripture to make sense to you today. You read along, you read in your Bible, you can read on the screen. In John 21, 12, the Bible says, Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. In verse 17, the third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Jesus Knows Everything. Pray with me. God, thank you for knowing everything. Thank you for knowing the hearts of all people. And God, we, we sit here, we stand here today before you, open before your eyes. You see everything and you know everything, God. And I ask you today that you would glorify yourself, magnify yourself in our presence, God. I pray that as we look to your word, you would anoint my mouth and my mind to say things that would honor you. I pray that you'd teach us by your spirit from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus knows everything. I'm going to jump ahead right now and get to one of the biggest punchlines that I talk about anytime I teach this passage of Scripture. It is great news and it is disastrous news that Jesus knows everything. The Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And this statement cuts both ways. This should make some people in the world very, very happy, and it should make others very, very fearful because there are people following God who fall down and get back up. The Bible says that righteous people fall down six, even seven times, but one fall is enough to keep the wicked down. See, it's, it doesn't make you a failure because you fall down. It makes you a failure if you stay down. Falling down and getting up is part of life. Uh, it, it was part of you learning how to walk. It was part of you learning how to ride a bicycle. Uh, for some of you, it was part of learning how to drive a car. I thank God Seth didn't have to wreck a car to learn how to. Don't take no dumbness. Uh, it, but it's just part of growing and even in our spiritual life there, there's falling down and there is getting up and here, here's, the, here's the reality it's good news that Jesus knows everything because if you're a true Christian sometimes you feel bad about your lifestyle sometimes you feel like it, it doesn't look like you love Jesus as much as you should uh, but the reality is he knows everything so you ought to find comfort in, no matter what anybody else thinks, God knows the truth. But see, if you're here and you're one of those sneaky church people, because the Bible says that every church has people, false brethren, 
unsaved people, the Bible says, who snuck in to spy out our liberty. People who are here, we, we see the parable of the wheat and the tares, and, and, and the person asks, where, where, where does all this, where's all this weeds come from? We planted good seed. And, and Jesus said, let them grow side by side. Sometimes they all look the same. But, but one day, God will separate the, the true from the false. And if you're snuck in here and you're just religious and you don't truly, uh, you're not truly saved, you don't really love God, you're just trying to do the church thing, and you got your own hidden agenda, guess what? God knows that too. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You can even fool the preacher, but you can't fool Jesus. Why can't you fool Jesus? Because he knows everything. If you don't get anything out of this message today, understand this fully. He knows everything. He not only knows what you do, get this, he knows what you did. Oh, see, the Bible says some of those things that we did in our past are a shame to even talk of. And here's some news. You ought to keep some of that to yourself. Because if everybody in this room, if everybody in this room found out the worst thing that you'd ever done, uh, we, I mean, we, we could take uh, Elder, Elder Jimmy's wife, Nancy, sweetest, uh, way more spiritual than him, uh, loves God, been loving God for a long time. Um, how, how many of y'all, know, some of y'all are like, well, she's just so, so, she just loves the Lord so much. She probably never had a real sin. Have you met human beings in your lifetime? And, and she's one of godliest women you'll ever meet. But, but how many of y'all know nobody in this room wants the 10 worst events of their life played on screen? And some of y'all dumb enough to talk about them. Some things y'all to keep quiet, but, but the reality is uh, so some people have fallen down, gotten back up. Jesus knows what you did, and he still loves you. You know, if everybody in this room knew what each person did, they'd side-eye you all the way every time they saw you, scoot down from you, change rows. I think the air's cold on this side. Let me move with my purse over to the other side of this room. Jesus knows everything. He knows what you did, and he knows what you're going to do, and he still loves you. That's good news to the true believer. But to the person trying to pull a scam, to the person trying to act like they got more than they really got, that, hey, I'm going to tell you what, that ought to cut you right down to your heart to know you might be fooling other people, but you're not fooling yourself. And even when you fool yourself, you're not fooling Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knows what? Jesus knows everything. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the life of the Apostle Peter. And I've told you many times, the Bible says we have these stories for our examples. We have the stories in the Bible for our examples so we can learn from them. And some people, there's a little bit mentioned about. Um, some people, it just lays them all out bare. Peter's one of those people, his life just gets put on full display in the New Testament. And most of us know some things about Peter. One of, one of the biggest things that people talk about Peter is that he denied Jesus three times. And if, if you read the Gospels, you'll, you'll understand and see that Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, and, and, you know, no, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear. I mean, no, I hope no coach goes into the game and says, you're going to fumble the ball at the most crucial time. How many people remember that uh, Super Bowl Pittsburgh Steelers won? I'm not a Pittsburgh Steelers, so I don't remember it all the way that good, plus I'm old. But I remember, my God, Jerome Bettis. Uh, what, what, what they call Jerome Bettis? Let me see if any sports from now. Other than, other than Elder Jimmy. Uh, it, anybody, what, is it, what they call him? The bus. Oh, the bus. Jerome Bettis was awesome. I love Jerome Bettis. And Jerome Bettis finally got to the Super Bowl. And then when the game was on the line, anybody remember what Jerome Bettis did? He fumbled the ball. And it looked like Pittsburgh was going to lose, but they came back and won anyway to Bell. Uh, Jerome Bettis out, kind of same thing the Braves did last night for Luke Jackson when he was about to blow another game, uh, and they came back and won. Different story for a different crowd. Uh, some of y'all not smart enough to be Atlanta Braves fans, but keep living. I don't think any. I don't think the coach went into that game and told Jerome Bettis, "Look here, you're going to fumble the ball in this game. 
And it's going to be horrible. And the crowd's going to turn on you and everybody's going to boo you. And it's going to look like you cost us the game. But keep going. People don't go into life that way. But, man, Jesus sure told Peter, you're going to deny me. And that could not have been a good feeling. And guess what? He didn't believe it. He didn't. But how many of y'all know whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, whether it's funny, fuzzy, warm, and comfortable, if Jesus said it, that's the truth. And so Jesus told Peter, he said, you, you, you're going to deny me three times. But you know, you know what Peter said? I love you more than all these people do. All the rest of them. Jesus told him, you're all going to desert me. He, Jesus told him he was going to go to the cross and told him, y'all are all going to desert me. Now, if I told y'all that right now, if I said everyone in this room right now, y'all all going to abandon God and Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, you're just going to walk. Some of y'all be like, maybe the rest of them, but not me. Mm, got to be careful. Got to watch out. Let's, let's look a little bit at, at the life of Peter because when he claimed to love Jesus more than the others did, hear me good, that was a big mistake. There are some of you in this room, you think you're more spiritual than other people in the room. It's a big mistake. There's some of you in this room think you love God more than other people in this room. Let me hear you. Let me tell you, it's a big mistake. Because here, here's the truth. You might really be. But if you really were, you wouldn't feel that way on the inside. You'd have, you'd have some maturity that, that brings about some humility because there, there's humility required for truly following Jesus. Let's, let's hear what the Bible says in Matthew 26, 31. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. Ouch. That's, that's harsh. You got to be sitting there thinking because nobody that loves somebody wants to hear that. For, for the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus knew what was coming, and he was letting them know what was about to come. In verse 32, he said, But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert. And when all these other cowards turn on you, I'll be standing. Because that's who I am. Ten foot tall and bulletproof. No, no, no coward in me. He said when all the rest of them, and he, I, you got to know he eyeballed them. Oh, y'all. When all the rest, when all of them, even if every one of them desert you, I will never. Somebody said never say never, but that's kind of ridiculous in itself, right? Never say never. You just did. Peter said, I'll never desert you. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. Now, now here's what's crazy. Jesus just said it. Peter's claiming he loves him more than all the rest of them. He's like, I'm following you for real. Jesus says something. First thing he says, nope. Jesus told him what will happen. Look, look, look at verse 35. Here's Peter's response. No. Listen, when God tells you something, stop rejecting your belief system. Learn how to automatically believe what God says, even if it blows your mind, even if you don't fully understand it, even if it doesn't really fit your, your mood at the time. Jesus told him something. Here's Peter saying, I love you more than anybody else. Jesus tells him the truth. He's like, nah. If, if he really loved Jesus, he should have been listening to him. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And, and here's what doesn't get enough press. The end of this verse. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Now they're all raising up, chest pounding, bowing up, swelling their chest out, saying, me neither. Now, that, that's me too. All the rest of these cowards, they'll flake. But I won't. Peter gets blamed for doing it, but they all did the same thing. And we, we know the story. Many of us know the story. Peter went on to publicly shame himself by denying Jesus just as Jesus said he would. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. And 
want to look a little bit uh, beyond that into the life of Jesus, but I want to remind you what I said just a few minutes, minutes ago. There is a requirement. There's a humility required to truly follow Jesus. See, proud people can follow Jesus a little bit. But as they learn stuff, humility sets in. As they learn more about God and more about themselves, there's a humility. Peter had a proud fellowship. And there are people in this room that have a proud fellowship. There have been times in my life when I've had a proud fellowship. But I've told you this, and I'm going to tell you again, I want you to get it. Humility is required. And humility is coming. The Bible says you can humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. But the Bible also shows if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And the difference is big because humbling yourself brings exaltation from the Lord. God humbling you brings humiliation in front of people. And when Peter didn't choose to humble himself, he ended up being humbled by God, living out the truth that Jesus said would happen. But it resulted in a greater humility in his life. And I want you to learn from the life of Peter. The Bible says we have these stories for our example. We need to learn from these stories. We need to learn from the life of Peter um, how to transition from this stage of our life to the next stage. Let's look back in our text in verse 12 of John 21. The Bible says, Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So here, here's the story. Jesus has died. He rose from the dead. They've already seen him a couple times. And Jesus is on the shoreline cooking. They're out fishing. He invites them to come and have some breakfast with him and it says they didn't dare ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. There's some ambiguity there in the Scripture because the fact that they didn't dare to ask him who you are meant that they weren't all fully convinced. They, they, they felt like it was God. They, they knew deep down it was God, but there were some questions in their mind. I want to tell you something. Questions don't mean you're unsaved. Questions about stuff doesn't mean that you don't love the Lord. Questions don't mean that you don't know who the Lord is. There are going to be some things in life that make you question stuff. Ne never question who God is, but you might question how things are happening. And, and they didn't all really understand. Jesus had told them the Son of Man must be delivered into sinful men's hands and, and be beaten and crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. He had been telling them that for a long time, but they were all blown back when he died. They, they were all upset when he died. They, they were all disillusioned when he died. I want to tell you sometimes, and many of you know this through experience, hardship can bring disillusionment. Hardship, when you go through something really difficult that you don't understand, it can shake you because the Bible has already promised everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And, and human beings can be shaken. And when life throws you things that you don't understand, sometimes it will throw you for a loop. We read in the Bible that after Jesus died, Simon Peter told the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And I've told you before, he didn't mean like I'm just going, you know, Going to go wet a line for a couple hours. I'm going to take the afternoon off. He meant, and if you read in the, the, the text, in the original language, it, 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 it was a continuous verb when he said, I'm going. He meant, I'm going back to my old way of life. This hadn't happened right for me. I quit my fishing business for Jesus. I laid down my nets for Jesus. I stopped being what I'd been my whole life for Jesus. But then he died on me. And it didn't happen the way I See, because all the disciples thought that Jesus was going to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament and reestablish the throne of David in the city of God and put the Roman oppressors under their feet. And when that didn't happen, they were like, well, we left everything for him and what now? He's dead. We're here by ourselves. Peter's like, this ain't working out for me. And now I've humiliated myself, denied him. I just may as well go back to my old way of life. Let me tell you something. The devil wants everyone in this room to go back to their old way of life. And I don't care how much you love Jesus, doesn't matter how saved you are, one step away from God could put you right back to where you used to be. 
Every one of us is capable of going back to what we did before we found Christ. And, and, and the, Peter's in this transition, and, and they're like, man, we don't understand this thing. We thought, we thought you were going to rise up. We, we saw the triumphal infantry on Palm Sunday, people laying palm branches, jackets, coats, shirts down in front of you, hailing you, uh, uh, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We thought you were going in there to push these Romans out and put us on top. But let me tell you, life doesn't always work out the way you want it to. The apostles didn't, they, they didn't understand everything that was supposed to happen. They, they didn't realize Jesus was, was anybody told them. See, some of us know the truth, but we forget it. We don't let it sink in. We don't marinate on it. And so Peter's gone back to fishing. These other disciples, they... Just sheeple, man. Don't follow the crowd. Follow the Lord. Don't say what Peter said when he said, if everybody else leaves you, I won't. And then all the other disciples are like, bet, us too. <laughs> they're, just, they're just mimicking what they've heard someone else say. Don't follow the crowd. Follow Jesus. Don't, don't, don't boldly in arrogance say what Peter said. If everybody else quits you, I won't. But be that kind of person that doesn't quit. Live that life out in faith. So here we see Jesus. This, our text happens after Jesus died, after he rose from the dead, after the disciples have become disillusioned. It didn't work out for them the way they want to. They went back to their old way of life. Here comes Jesus gathering them back in, tells them, sit down. Let's eat some of this breakfast here together. And in verse 13, the Bible says, Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Now, I'm not really sure. Experts, assumed experts, claim that the fish that they ate in, in that day and time, in that geographic location, was what we would call tilapia. Now, Gail, she, she used to, when she found that out as a young Christian, she made tilapia her go-to meal. She would order tilapia anywhere it was on it. I'm going to get Jesus fish. Well, you know, that, that, was, that was young in the tilapia craze in America. Uh, and that was before we had all the scientific data that tilapia in America being served in restaurants today is one of the trashiest, nastiest, cheapest, most poisoned, bad-to-eat, kill-you-by-the-bite fish. <laughs> yeah, it tastes good, though, right? <laughs> so a lot of things, so does pork, but they say don't eat it. But I'm going to eat it. So I don't know how close this was to our tilapia. That's what the experts say. Obviously, the fish we have is not, the food we have today is not nearly as good as the food they have then. Anybody understand that? The food in America is some of the most wor worst food you could possibly consume. It's, it's, it's all been diseased and polluted, mass-produced. Uh, you know, even the food they ship in from overseas, it's all got preservatives on it. Uh, here, here's something cool I learned when, when I was repping for a nutritional company one time. And it, it stuck out in my mind because the numbers run together. And if you're listening to me, you're going to have the answer to this because I said the numbers run together. The numbers are the same. In 1957, if you ate a peach from 1957, how many peaches today would you have to eat to get the same nutritional value from a peach that you ate in 1957? 57. Now, can you believe, that's, now that's documentable, that's verifiable. Can you believe one peach today has only 157th the nutrition in it that a peach had? When I read that, I thought, my, my mom is smarter, smarter than she knows. My mom's been telling the truth for a long time because my mom's country is a chicken foot, and she grew up on a farm, uh, farming soybean and cotton, and she, she would tell us all the time, a tomato don't taste like a tomato. I said, well, what's it taste like, a kumquat? She said, no, boy, when I, was, when I was a kid, we used to just grab tomatoes and eat them like candy. Is that right, Mom? She'd grab it, and she, she said they just, they just had so much taste to them. They were just bursting with flavor. It was like a treat. To eat a tomato. He said, she said, you, you cut into them now. They, they don't even look the same on the inside. There's no taste to them. You got to cover them with salt. Um, 
Listen, I'm going to tell you what. I was telling, telling my family on vacation. We, we were up in the mountains this week. I said, you know, I don't eat vegetables. But if you put a good batter on it, you deep fry it, put enough salt and ranch on it, anything tastes good. You, you might catch me eating squash, fried squash, covered in ranch dressing and salt. You might even catch me eating okra, fried okra, covered in salt and ranch dressing. You, you might even catch me eating green tomatoes, fried green tomatoes, covered in what? Salt and ranch. But the food, that 1957 if the food in our lifetimes has gotten so watered down, can, can, you, can you possibly stretch your mind enough to believe whatever fish Jesus cooked for them and served them tastes better than what we're eating now? I'm going to believe in my sanctified mind it tasted better than the fish they cooked and they were fishermen. I don't even know where Jesus got this fish. Now, we know if you read the story, he told them they could add some of theirs in with it, but I'm going to say his was better. Uh, but he, he made it. He, you know, he may have created cooked fish. He just may have spoken onto a plate. But anyway, Jesus is, is serving them. And we see this is the kind of Lord that we have. Our God is not a tyrant. Our God serves us. He loves us. He cares for us. He, 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 he's always looking out for us. So Jesus serves them the bread and the fish. Verse 14 says this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So they've already seen him. They, they saw him live. They saw him crucified. They saw him buried. They knew he had been raised from the dead. He told them he would be raised from the dead. They saw him after he was raised from the dead, but they still had struggles in their fellowship. And that's not, not much different than most of us. If you're here and you're truly saved, you've seen the Lord. Do something in your life awesome. You've seen God save you when he didn't have to. But, but sometimes there's still that struggle in the fellowship. Sometimes you look at yourself and wonder, how did I get way over here? Every time I have ever fallen away from the Lord I've had a re and, and come back to God and, and found my joy again, I've, I've always asked myself the, the, the same question Man, in, the, in the same frame of mind. It's, it's just so good to be close to God. Why did I ever let myself? back away from this greatness but it affects all of us it was affecting them and and now they're in this process they, they they've met christ they they've seen the resurrected lord before this isn't the first time he's showing up they've seen miracles but they still had struggles in their fellowship i hope you're hearing something this morning in verse 15 after breakfast jesus asked simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. I'm not going to preach long today. My throat is on fire, and I believe if you listen fast, God can speak to you quickly. But there's so much to unpack here. Jesus had told this man, Simon Peter, Simon son of John, he told them, he told him, your name is Peter. And upon this rock, Peter meant rock. I'll build my church. You know, some pe sometimes people call you one thing. People who know you well call you another thing. Some people only know you by your government name, but, but, but your family knows you by what, whatever they called you growing up. And I, 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 I could put you on jump. I could put you on, on, on level right now. Dina, Dina's, Dina's ducking her head and, 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 and embarrassed already because uh, I, I was with uh, Dina and Scott and Seth this whole week. I felt like I was learning how to drive all over again today. I got in the car today for the first time behind the steering wheel in a week of, of not driving. My first time as an adult outside the military, not driving for a week. But I heard Scott call Dina by 172 different names that nobody's ever heard before. I'm like, oh, is that your new go-to? <laughs> Sometimes people who know you the best really care about you have names for you that other people don't use for you. It was common for this man to be referred to as Simon, son of John, or Simon Bar-Jonah, from John. And that was, that's what everybody called him. Well, Jesus called him Peter, or Simon Peter, 
and that was uh, had a lot of evidence to it. Do a study on it, find out why. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I'm going to tell you there's some significance here when Jesus, because look at it, in verse, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked who? But he didn't say Simon Peter. Simon Peter's what he told him that he was going to call him. But here he's not calling him Simon Peter. He's calling him by his government name. Now, some of y'all know, when your parents call you by your whole name, that's trouble. That's trouble. When they, when they put your entire, and, and, and listen, some of y'all, I mean, the average person has how many names in America? Three. Some of y'all gave y'all's kids four names. Stacy wasn't going to be outdone. Yeah, she gave, she gave her youngest child five names. Don't call her by none of them. I thank God. I, I didn't have, I, I'm one of the few people in the world had a, didn't have a nickname growing up. I was never called Scotty, Boo Boo, Dumpling. I was just called Scott my whole life. But Stacy's youngest? It's so funny. I, I, I'll let y'all know in case you're wondering. Black Stacy. <laughs> we got two Stacys been in this church for over a decade. I got stories on all of them. But but uh, Stacy calls her youngest Bleeka mostly. But her name is, any, anybody in the room know all five of those names? I'm going to give them to you right now. I know Seth does because y'all grew up together, same age. Roughly. Um, Kiko Lachey Page Edmund Washington. That's, that's her government name. Now, I got to imagine, that name doesn't get called much, but if it gets called all five, some of y'all know. They, they go to your government name, you, you, they're probably trying to get your attention. There's a seriousness involved. Say serious. Jesus goes serious on, on, on Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. He doesn't say leader of the apostles. My follower, he doesn't say my, my friend. He says, hey, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I want you to think about that phrase this morning. He was, it was asked of Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. It was asked of this man then. But because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he never changes. The fact that Jesus asked him that question indicates to me he's still asking that question of people who follow him today. Do you love me more than these? And there's some speculation among theologians of what the these is. I believe plainly he's talking about the other apostles because of the mouthiness that Peter had put forth earlier. He, he put all the others on blast. He said, if all the rest, because Jesus told them, all of y'all going to desert me. And Peter says, not me. They might. I won't. These others might. I won't. And so Jesus said, do you love me more than these? And the other disciples were sitting there. I think there's some secondary implication there as well, though, because he'd gone back to fishing. He went back to his old way of life. He went back to not only what was natural to him, but what he enjoyed. He went back to doing not only what was natural to him and what he enjoyed, but what he was doing before he got his life entangled with Christ. And it was natural for Simon to fish. It's what he'd been doing his whole life. He owned a fishing business. He had a fishing boat. He wasn't just somebody sitting on the, on, on the side of that, what's that bridge out there? Going, going, going to uh, um, St. Augustine, Shands Bridge. None of them people own a boat. Y'all ever go over that bridge? Not on this side of the bridge, but the far side of the bridge. Off to the left? I don't think none of them people own a boat. Why do I think they don't own a boat? Because they're all out there standing fishing. Simon Peter wasn't off Shannon's Bridge fishing. It's a good spot to fish, though. I don't, recommend, I don't say don't do it. But, and maybe somebody out there does own a boat, and they just love that spot. But Simon was a professional fisherman. He wasn't just somebody, you know, skipping work to go fishing. He... He, he's doing what is natural to him. So Jesus said, when he said, do you love me more than these? I think he was talking about the other human beings there, but I also think he was talking about stuff. Say stuff. There's stuff in your life. Fishing gear. There's a boat. There's being out on the water. There, there's being your own boss. 
Didn't have anybody to tell him what to do. He was the man. He said, do you love me all more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And you see here where Jesus, and the Bible is full of examples like this, where God wants us to get past talk. Because talk is cheap, but it takes money to ride the bus. Anybody can flap their lips. But Jesus said, then, if you do, because you say you do, if you really do, then do something for me. And this is where the rubber meets the road. What do you do for the Lord? How do you serve God? One of the two most used words in the English language for worship is the Greek word latruo. We say worship. They said latruo. And latruo means to show your love for someone by serving them. How do you show your, your service is your worship? Well, I, I love the Lord in my heart. No, but what do you do for him? G, Peter said, you, you know I love you. He said, then do something about it. Serve me by helping other people. In verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then Jesus said, and take care of my sheep. Some people get mixed up between this sheep and lambs. There's very little difference there theologically. Uh, other people get uh, hung up on the fact that one time uh, or two times Jesus said, do you love me? He used the Greek word agapeo, which means to be totally devoted to something because you love that something so much. And the third time he used the word phileo, which means to be attracted to, to have affection for, um, a brotherly loves where we get to city of what? Philadelphia. I don't recommend it. If you're from there, you're smart. If you're still there, you need prayer. Uh, <laughs> that's just a joke between me and Philadelphia. But Jesus asked him, do you really love me? Second time he asked, do you really love me? And Peter said, you know I love you. Same, same question, same answer. Same response by Christ. Then do something about it. Do you know if everybody that said they loved the Lord did something about it, the world would be different? If everybody in this room right now that claims to love the Lord did something about it, our world would be different. We got to stop waiting on politicians to change the world. We got to stop waiting on lobbyists to change the world. We got to stop waiting on activism to change the world. People can change the world one by one. See, anybody, whoa, let's do this. Let's go downtown to the march. We're going to go to the protest. And I'm not saying that's wrong. There's a time and a place for, for lots of that stuff. But you can go to every march they have uh, for whatever cause you support. But if you're not living for what you say you believe in between the protests, do you see there's a problem there? We got to start living what we say. We got to start loving what we claim to love. We got to start living out our faith because the Bible says you're blessed in your doing. Anybody can talk about it. God wants you to be about it. In verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. See, Jesus changed up that word love there to uh, do, do you like me? Now, if somebody asks you the same question three times in a row, that gets frustrating. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Me and my sister, uh, we, we, we uh, let me clean this up. We have resting frown face. If you're laughing, you need to, you, you need to get your mind out of the ghetto or the gutter. But my, my mouth... And this, this is hilarious when people say, the pastor guy just got a big mouth. No. I have one of the smallest mouths on record. And it's, it's seen clearly when I was in the Army. Because in the Army, you're not allowed to wear a mustache outside of your mouth lines. Okay, now I'm going to have to set this microphone down so you can see how, how, how drastic this is. Anybody ever tells you Pastor Scott got a big mouth? Say, no, he's just loud, but he got a really small mouth. 
from here to here. That much of my stature, what I have in the army. And there's a very famous person <laughs> in, in world history who wore a mustache that size. Anybody know who that is? Does this look like a, a wide mouth to you? That's, that's, it. that's where my mustache had to stop, right there. My mouth. People talk about big mouths. They don't, they don't really mean the size of their mouth. It doesn't matter if you've got a big mouth or a small mouth. It's not important, as important what you say. The Bible says you're not blessed in your words. You're blessed in your deed. So I came today to talk to every big mouth in the room, whether your mouth is large or small. Everybody who makes big claims. Everybody who, who sells wolf tickets. Everybody who d- talks about stuff they don't do. Stop talking about it and be about it. But if you ask somebody the question a third time, and, and you're going to get frustrated. Because of the way my mouth is shaped, not only is it small, but it naturally turns down. Seth's mouth continues to extend. Seth's mother's mouth continues to extend to about here. I mean, some of y'all show no teeth when you smile. Some of y'all show a mouthful of teeth when you smile. But because my mouth and Dina's mouth, here, here, here's something good for you to know. Dina's mouth bigger than mine. <laughs> Think about that. My sister. And, um, but our mouth just naturally turned down. It's just the way our face is built. Some people sit and they look like they're smiling all the time. Gail was that way. Some of y'all are that way. Uh, but my, me and my sister have been asked the same question so much in our life. You mad about something? Anybody ever ask you, you okay? You upset? About the third time they ask you that, I mean, about the second time is frustrating. About the third time, they, uh, are you, you okay? You sure? You look like you're upset. Are you upset? You sure you're not upset? <laughs> he said, I'm getting there. People don't like to be asked the same question over and over and over again. That's, that's, that's irritating in and of itself. But when you're already caught and ashamed, and they keep putting that question on you? When everybody in the room's already side-eyeing you, and the Lord keeps putting that question on him, because every one of the, let me, let me tell you something, what I, know about, what I know about church folk. All those other disciples were side-eyeing Peter, and they were talking bad about him behind his back. Oh, big and bad, huh? Y'all remember what he told them? See, they forgot they said the same thing. But they want to jump on the leader. Because people love to see the leader fail. Because it makes them feel better as if their failures aren't as extreme. Well, at least I didn't do what he did. And so they're, they're, they are, Peter is humiliated. He's embarrassed himself. He's ashamed. He's denied Christ. He was the unequivocal mouthpiece of the group. He was the unequivocal leader of these 12 people. He was up front, loud, and proud. And he was Jesus' go-to guy. And he was... Embarrassed because he told Jesus, no matter what you say, I'm not going to desert. All the rest of these people will, but I won't. Now, you know how people feel about that kind of loud mouth. They, and, and Jesus keeps asking him, keeps asking him, keeps asking him. And third time, he said, Simon, son of John. He's still not calling him Peter. He's still not calling him Simon Peter. He's still not calling him the great confessor who said, you're, you're the Messiah, the son of the only living. He said, son of John. That's who he was before he knew Jesus. He said, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Same question, similar answer, similar follow-up from Jesus, then do something about it. Serve me. So much to unpack here. I'm not going to get into all the theology of it. Some people have said that the grace of God allowed Peter to confess him three times because he had denied him three times. The grace of God allowed uh, Peter to uh, redeem himself in front of his fellow disciples uh, because he was ashamed in front of the Lord and in front of them. The, The grace of God allowed Jesus to publicly in front of the people that Peter had embarrassed himself in front of still give him authority because if you read 
in, in some translations, and especially in the original languages, you'll see that Jesus is commissioning Peter to still be an apostle and to still have oversight and leadership of the church of God. And so there's, there's a lot being said there, but I want you to focus on where Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time and where he said, Lord, you know everything. Because there's going to come a time in your life, if you really love God, if you're truly saved, there's going to come a time in your life where you do something that you shouldn't have done, where you say something you shouldn't have said, where you act in a way that you shouldn't have acted, and you're going to feel bad about yourself, and you're going to feel embarrassed in front of other people because other people are looking at, looking at you the way they were looking at Peter. Oh, he's been saying all this time how much he loves Jesus, how we're going to fail, but he's going he's to follow, how we're, we're going to let Jesus down, but he's not. And so I think in the mind of Peter, there was this thought when he said, you know, everything. As if to say, these other people don't know. But you know. These doubters and these haters here. These people side-eyeing me. They say, I went back to fishing. They say, I denied you. They say, I left you. They say, I drug them away from you. They doubt me. All they remember is my failure. But you know. And I want to tell you something here. If you're here and, and you're truly saved. Come on, Victor. If you're here and you're truly saved, I want to tell you. It doesn't matter how bad you might feel about yourself. It doesn't matter what other people might say about you. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. When you know what Peter knew, Jesus knows everything. And I want you to know here today, whether you're truly following God or whether you're not following God as close as you should or you're not following him at all, Jesus knows everything. See, when, when you stumble, when you fall, when other people find out stuff about you, uh, the devil wants to use that to run you right back to what you used to do and never see you again. There are people that have left following God, and their pride won't let them come back. I've had people in this room tell me about other people who used to be in this room that they're praying that they'll get right with God and come back to church. I said, and I've told them the same thing every time. I'm praying for them too, that they'll get right with God and, and, and go back to church. But they won't come back to this one. And it's not because they're not welcome because everybody's welcome. It's not because they're not wanted because everybody's wanted. Their pride won't let them come back. Because when you fail in front of a group of people that you serve God with and you're filled with pride, oh, that's a tough comeback. You end up going to somebody else's church at that point because you're worried. Everybody, everybody knows what's, what's going on. Everybody knows what's happening. And I, I want to close this by letting you know one thing Bishop told me years ago. I'd moved, away, I'd moved away to Tampa in 1994. Some things had happened in my life. I, my life wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. So I, moved, I thought, I'll remake myself. I'll move away to Tampa. I'll start all over. I'd, live, I'd lived in this city my whole adult life since I was a small child. Everybody on this side of town knows who I am. And I thought, well, I'm going to just get out of here. And when, I, when, when God brought me back, Man, I had a great spiritual renewal in Tampa in 1994. I came back. I went to see Bishop, talked to him. And I said, yeah, but this and that. He said, boy, stop worrying what other people think about you. And then he said this, because for the most part, they don't. And you need to understand that. Stop worrying about what most people think about you. Because for the most part, they don't. See, Peter was worried what all these other people thought about him. But he came to this great awareness even everybody else don't know, you know, Lord. You know everything. You know I love you. And I want you to let that thought drive every decision you make for the rest of your life. And I want you to let that thought be the prevailing thought in your mind. God knows you love him. Stop being hard on yourself. God knows you love him if you do. Now, if you don't, this ain't message not for you. But I got a worse message for you. But if you really love him, don't, don't look at your failures. 
Don't worry that other people know what they know. Don't, don't look at what anybody else thinks of you. Don't, don't look at your stumble. Take joy in knowing he knows I love him. And then do what he said. Then do something about it. Get back to serving him. Get back to putting him first. Get back to following him. In verse 18, Jesus went on to say, see, he stopped asking the question now, and he moves forward. And he says, I'll tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. See, the life before Christ for Peter, he was in charge. He did what he wanted to do. He, he, he was the captain of his own destiny. Had less responsibilities as a young person. He said, but when you're old, and most theologians agree, it's about. Anybody know how many years Jesus lived after, or Peter lived after Jesus was resurrected? Everybody needs to learn something when they come to church. Most theologians agree it's about 34 years between this time and the time that Nero had Peter crucified upside down because Peter didn't want to be crucified. He didn't feel worthy to be executed the same way his Lord was. But he said, when you're old, 34 years after this, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. This is Jesus prophesying about the way Peter was going to die. In verse 19, the Bible says, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus gave him the same two words he gave him to begin with. Way back. A little less than two years before this, Jesus ran up on Peter and said, follow me. After everything that happened, God's still right where you started with him. After everything you've been through, after all the good things you've done for God, and after all the bad things you've done for God, after all the good things people said about you, and after all the bad things people said about you, after every success you've ever had and every failure you've ever had, Jesus is still right there telling you the same thing. Follow me. And we know through the history books that Peter went on to follow him. But he followed him a different way. See, he followed him with a humility. See, the Bible tells us that you need to take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Peter didn't know that as a young Christian, but he learned that through life. And what he learned is on the other side of falling. Remember what Jesus told Peter, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But after you're converted, strengthen your brother. Jesus said, but I prayed for you. I prayed for you in your future. I wanted you to know what you're going through right now. Jesus prayed for you thousands of years ago that you'd get through it. And everything you're going to go through from this day forward, the Lord is already praying for you. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's always praying for us because he knows everything. He knows what's going on. See, you don't have to know what the future is. Scott Mills did all the driving this week. We were up in the mountains. I didn't, pay, I didn't have to pay attention. I mean, we had all these curves and turns we had to take to get to the cabin on the lake we were on. I didn't have, I didn't have to know when we were leaving, did we turn right or left? Because I, I was fully trusting the one driving. I was just sitting in the back seat. I can't remember the last time. I, I don't think you've ever seen me sit in the back seat of a car. You know me my whole life. Uh, I was sitting in the back seat just relaxing. And if you truly trust Jesus, you don't have to worry about what's up around the next corner. He's driving. He already knows. And he's already prayed for, your, for you in the successes you'll have and through the failures that you'll have. And then when it all comes full circle, there he still is saying, follow me. Follow me. I don't know what stage of your life you're in, but I see some stages in Peter's life. He had a life before Jesus. Everybody in this room had a life before they met Jesus. If you're, still, if you're one of those people I run into in the street that tells me you've always been saved, I know you've never been saved. Because the Bible says you must be born again. You've you, you got to come 
to Jesus. There was a life before Jesus Peter had. He progressed past that to a life where he was following Jesus. He progressed through that to a life where he was failing Jesus. And he progressed through that to a life where he was following Jesus in a greater way. Now, I don't know where you are in your stage of, of following Christ. But remember the question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me more than these? I don't know what your these is. So I've thought this week about some of the things that are my these. Because we went to my favorite place in the world. It's not the mountains that I love. We don't go to the mountains because I love the mountains. We go to the mountains because it's within driving distance. We can take a day trip and still get to Greenville. And there's a swing I sit on when I go to this park by this waterfall in Greenville. It's called Falls Park on the Reedy River. It's in the heart. Of, the whole city of Greenville is built around this river and this waterfall. And I got this special swing. We get there to the park. We walk down the steps through the gardens around the, the, the bridge. And Dana's been there with me a lot. Seth's been there with me a lot. I've been there by myself many times. And uh, Dana said, oh, somebody's sitting in a swing. Maybe they'll get up soon. There's 20 different swings in that park. But there's one I want to be on. And she asked me, she said, why, why, why this swing? Why, why, why do you like this to sit here? Every time we, we go, Anywhere within a day's drive of Greenville, we, we go there, or in a couple hours' drive. And I said, because it's just, I just feel more peaceful here than anywhere else. I'd spent time with God there. It's special to me. It's where I love to be. It's one of my, and I realize it's one of my these. And I thought, what are, what are some other my these? My kids, my kids are my life. After Gail died, I decided not to cook in the house. So I ate dinner out every night with my sons. Biggest decision I have to make throughout the day is where we're going to eat at night. I heard Dr. Dobson say, Many, many years ago that the average father spends less than one minute a day in direct communication with his children. And I was horrified by that, especially as a young father. I don't want to be that dad. But I saw myself many times. I would get up and leave the house before they got up. I'd come home, they'd be in bed. And I'd go days without seeing my kids just based on work, traveling. And when Gail died, I thought, I'm not going to be that dad that's working all the time. I'm going to be that dad that hangs out with my kids. And, and my, my kids became the, a huge focal point in my life. And they should be. What are some of my other these? Is my studies. I love to study. I love to study. I, I'm more happy sitting in my room by myself reading than, than doing almost anything else. Give, 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 me, give me a Bible. Give me some Christian books. And just, just let me study. I, I, I love it. I sit down and take notes. I write out charts, graphs, statistics. I'm just comfortable with it. What God wired me up to do. But what else are some of my theses? Because I don't want to love anything more than I love the Lord. I know, my, I know I love my kids a lot. I love my studies a lot. I love this church. And I know pastors that love their church more than they love Jesus. And I don't want to be that guy. This week, I've been following Atlanta Braves my whole life. The year I got married the last year, they won the World Series. They haven't been to the World Series since 1999. My kids have never known a winning Atlanta Braves team. We got Atlanta Braves gear hung up all over our house. We got... I, I, they, they went to Atlanta Braves baseball games growing up their whole life. This week, everybody was hanging out in the cabin, 
we saw Cliff and Julie Bridges. They're deacons in our church. They live up that way. They came over, and Deacon Scott made his famous pizzas, and we were all just sitting around fellowshipping. That game came on. I left. I'll sit up in there and talk all y'all want to. I'm finding a TV because I know for sure Braves baseball is one of my V's. I, 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 might, I might feel too bad to, to get up and meet you for lunch, but I find that TV when Braves baseball is on. That swing in Greenville. It's just certain things that I know are these is to me. But I don't want to love anything more than I love Jesus. And I want you to take some inventory of your own life. Because the same question Jesus asked Peter is relevant to us today. Do you love him more than these? What is these to you? Your job? Your house? Your favorite chair? Your children? I don't know. But do you love Jesus more than that? Might not look like it to everybody. You may, feel, you may seem more focused on some things than you are on the Lord. And God's not looking for lip service. And I've had so many people tell me, well, you know, I'm busy, but I love the Lord the most. God's still my number one. Remember what Jesus said to Peter three times. Then do something about it. Show it. Serve me. Get busy doing what God has called you to do. Because if you don't, that these in your life is going to take control. And it doesn't matter if it's a good thing. My love for this church is a good thing. But I can't love this church more than I love Jesus. Or it becomes a bad thing. My love for my kids, it's a good thing. But if I love my kids more than I love Jesus, it becomes a bad thing. Anything can become an idol in your life. Studying the Bible for me is a good thing. But if I love studying the Bible, then I just become like one of those that Jesus told that you love the Scripture more than you love me. He said you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have life, but these are they that testify of me. Jesus dealt with people when he was on earth that, that loved the Bible. They loved the writings of the prophets more than they loved him. A good thing can become your these. So I want you to figure out today, do you love Jesus more than these? You ought to in your mind, humble as you can be, think I know I love Jesus more than most people. If you don't think you love Jesus more than most people, there's something off with you. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're in that stage of life where Peter was before he met Christ. Maybe you're in that early stage of immature following him where you think you're more spiritual than everybody else and you love God more than everybody else. Maybe you're in that stage where you're failing him. I want to be in that stage where I'm following him with maturity. I want to be in that stage where I'm following him with Humility. I want to be in that stage where I'm not just saying that I love him more than these, but that I'm showing it by what I'm doing. Do you love Jesus more than these? I hope you do. Doesn't matter what your future is. Most, most TV preachers right now would say, oh, when Peter finally got to following the Lord, his blessings rained down. He, he began to walk in his manifestation. He began to, to, to manifest destiny. He started walking in dominion. He started, everything opened up. He was in the flow of the whole. No, Jesus said, you're going to die. Brutal. But you know what Peter did? He said, whatever the course is, I'm in. Whatever the pain is, I'm in. Whatever the process is, I'm in. Good days, bad days, happy days, sad days, I'm in. For 34 years, Peter didn't go back to fishing. He followed Jesus until they hung him upside down on a cross. He followed Jesus because it was then 
that he realized. See, Jesus already knows the answer. Jesus wasn't asking Peter these questions to get an answer. Jesus knows everything. He was asking Peter these questions so Peter would understand. Yes, I do. I do love you more than these. I love you more than these other men right here. I do. And I love you more than these fish. I do. And I love you more than being my own boss. So he did what Jesus told him to do. Do something about it. Show it. Follow me. And for 34 years, we see through Scripture in the history books, this man, Peter, followed Jesus with humility. Not that loud, I'll follow you when these others won't. But that determined, I'll follow you even when I walk to my death. Do you love Jesus more than these? If you're here and you're not saved, you need to get saved. The Bible says if you call on the Lord in sincerity, He'll save you. If you're here and you are saved, then do something. Follow Him. Not in word, but in deed. God said real love is not only in word, but it's in deeds. Let's follow Him. Follow Him in your early Christianity. Follow Him through your successes. Follow Him past your failures. and Follow Him to the very end. And make sure that you love Him more than these. Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for always allowing us to follow you wherever we find ourselves. God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Renew us. Empower us to love you more than these. God, you know the times that we're in. And you're the God of this day. You're the very present God. And Lord, I ask you to let us love you more than everything else. Let us love you through our success and through our failure. Let us love you more than everything else because you're God alone. And you're the only one who deserves total fellowship. We want to follow you, God. And we need your spirit to guide us and to lead us. So we thank you, God, for the Holy Ghost. We ask you, God, to let our cup run over with joy of knowing that you know everything. God, you know the heart of everyone in this room. You know who loves you and who doesn't. You know who's faking it and who's not. You know who follows you and who doesn't. God, I pray that you would help us love you more for the rest of our life than we did in the beginning of our life. Help us, God, to be everything that you created us to be. We honor you today, God. We choose you as our Lord. We choose you as our master. We thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for the infilling of your spirit. God, I pray that you would guide us to the very end and let us follow you all the days of our life and dwell in your house forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.